If I could ask you to take your seats, please. I could whistle if you don't want that. As you can see, <laughs> our next and very esteemed guests are already on the stage. May I present to you Mr. Bob Schieffer and the Attorney General Eric Holder. Thank you all, and uh, I, I just want to say a couple of things here. Uh, this is a little different than the, uh, the conversation that came just before. What we are going to do here today is actually tape Sunday's Face the Nation. Uh, so once we get started, I'm going to ask you all not to applaud or respond in any way uh, to anything that the Attorney General uh, might say. <laughs> I would also tell you, I, I want to make full disclosure here before we start the broadcast. Uh, I do have a connection to the Attorney General. Uh, his wife is an OBGYN, and nine years ago, she delivered our absolutely perfect nine-year-old identical twin granddaughters. <laughs> I also want to tell you, uh, just to bring you up to date on the news, because uh, some of this will be on the evening news tonight, but. Uh, just so it won't be outdated uh, on the Sunday broadcast. The government, uh, the, that bizarre group of, of Russian spies, pled guilty uh, in federal court today, and they're going to be exchanged uh, for some people uh, that the United States has an interest in that are, that are in Russia. So uh, that's, that's what we'll be talking about at the beginning of this interview. So uh, I'm ready. and. We're waiting until they tell us that they're taping okay. Mr. Attorney General in New York. We are now rolling. Okay, so if you all would, uh, here we go. And we're in the Benedict Music Tent at the Aspen Ideas Festival in Aspen, and we're joined by the Attorney General Eric Holder. Mr. Attorney General, uh, thank you so much for being with us. It's good to be here. Let's just start with the top of the news. This bizarre ring of uh, Russian spies, or whatever they were, uh, after they pled guilty, a deal was worked out to exchange them uh, with some people that the United States had an interest in. Uh, just give us the details. What's this about? Well, the 10 people here in the United States pled guilty to uh, acting as agents of Russia without registering with our government, and we uh, essentially orchestrated a swap so that we had access to or got that uh, for people who had been charged in Russia with uh, conducting intelligence activities on behalf of uh, Western countries. What do we get here? I mean, uh, the United States, the FBI spent 10 years tracking these people. Do we have any indication that they stole anything of significance? Well, they didn't pass any classified information, and for that reason they were not charged with espionage. On the other hand, we have broken up uh, a pretty substantial network that consisted of what they called illegals, 10 people who were in different parts of the country and who were trying to, in some ways, insinuate themselves into um, our country and find ways in which they could get information from a variety of sources. Uh, they, did actually did, they actually did make contact with certain people, and 
did obtain certain information um, from people who were unwitting in their interaction um, with, with these people. Well, what do we get in exchange, the four people that uh, they're being exchanged for? These are people, as I said, who have been charged with uh, intelligence activities in Russia uh, and in whom we had a great deal of interest, as well as uh, England, and uh, we've gotten those people back. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, uh, most of the time well, when the FBI spends that much time and that many resources uh, on watching people like this, the prosecutors usually want to prosecute them. They want to put them in jail. Why did they agree to make this deal? Well, there were a variety of reasons. I mean, I think chief among them being the concern with uh, the swap that we ultimately concluded. Uh, they could have been placed in jail, but we saw this as an opportunity to get back to England and get back to the United States, uh, these four people in whom we had a great deal of interest. And uh, it was on that basis that we decided to make that decision. Why did you decide to close in on them now? Why was it decided to break it up? break this whole thing up? Because one, uh, one of the members, one of the, one, uh, the husband of one of the couples was in the process of going to France and then on his way to Russia, and the concern was that if we let him go, uh, we would not be able to get him back. There were other operational considerations that we've not been in a position to reveal and cannot reveal at this point. There were operational concerns that if we did not act at that point, the possibility existed that we would not be able to break up the ring in the totality uh, in the way that we have now. Was there something here that we don't know about? I mean, because when you look at this, <laughs> it appears uh, that they didn't pose much of a threat to this country, did they? Well, they were acting uh, as agents of a foreign power, and therefore they were certainly a threat in that regard. Um, the potential for what they might have done was, I think, a serious thing. Uh, and the reality is that we had them under observation for over 10 years, monitored their uh, activities, saw what they were trying to do. They were supported uh, by Russia to a very great degree, hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, great amounts of communication between them and, uh, and Russia. Russia considered these people very important to their intelligence gathering activities. And, um, we uh, agree that, in fact, they were intelligent, they were important to the Russians, and it was for that reason that uh, we monitored them and took this uh, extremely seriously. One question that we've gotten a lot of emails on and a lot of calls at CBS News, what happens now to the children? Uh, the children have all been um, repatriated. Uh, we did so consistent with what their parents' wishes were. And to the extent that we had children who were close to majority or majority, they made their own decisions as to where they wanted to go. So the children have all been uh, handled, I think, in an appropriate way. Because some of those children, because they were born here, would actually be U.S. citizens. Right. And to the extent that they had the ability to make choices and were old enough to make them, uh, they made their decisions and they've uh, gone back with their parents. Let's turn to uh, the other big story of the week. Uh, you filed suit to ask a judge to overturn Arizona's new immigration law. It has put Republicans in a rage. Here's what Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell said. He said, suing the people of Arizona for what the federal government has utterly failed to do will not help secure our borders. Senators Kyle and McCain, the Arizona senators, say, Attorney General Holder speaks to the federal government's responsibility to enforce immigration law, but what are people of Arizona to do when the federal government fails its responsibility? So why did you file this lawsuit? Well, the, I understand, first off, the frustration of the people of Arizona and the concerns that they have with regard to the amount of illegal immigration that occurs. 
But the solution that the Arizona legislature came up with is inconsistent with our federal constitution. It is responsibility of the federal government to decide immigration policy. And what the Arizona, the Arizona legislature came up with was a, a statute that is inconsistent with the federal constitution. It's preempted by the federal uh, constitution. And on the basis of preemption, we decided uh, to file a lawsuit. We have an immigration policy that takes into account a whole variety of things, um, international relations, um, national security concerns, and it is the responsibility of the federal government as opposed to states doing it on a patchwork basis uh, to decide um, exactly what it is our, our policy should be with regard to immigration. It was on that basis that we filed the lawsuit. You, you've heard the same criticism that I have. Uh, some are saying that it's just all politics, that uh, what you're trying to do is to brand Republicans as anti-immigration or, in fact, anti-Hispanic before the elections in November. No, not true at all. Um, the basis for this was a legal determination by those of us at the Justice Department that the law was inconsistent with the Constitution. And there, I think one has to also understand that there are a substantial number of Republicans and people in law enforcement who thought that the decision that we made to file this lawsuit was, in fact, the correct one. So it is not a monolith. There's not a Republican monolith here where people are saying in the Republican Party that this was an inappropriate decision. When the uh, Arizona law was first passed, both you and the president expressed concerns that it would lead to racial profiling because it allows the police, if they think someone might be in this country illegally, uh, gives them the right to stop them and, and, and they have to produce papers to show uh, that in fact they are citizens. Yet your lawsuit doesn't talk at all about racial profiling or if it even mentions it, it's just barely, it just talks about uh, the federal government is being preempted uh, from a duty that it has to perform. Why did you choose to go that route? Well, we wanted to go out with what we thought was our strongest initial argument and to focus what we thought on what we thought is the uh, most serious problem with the law as it now exists. doesn't mean that if the law, for whatever reason, happened to go into effect, that six months from now, a year from now, we might not look at the impact the law has had and whether or not see whether or not there has been uh, that racial profiling um, impact. And if that was the case, uh, we would have the tools and we would uh, bring suit on that basis. Well, are, are you saying, though, that, that states and local governments have no responsibility when it comes to enforcing immigration policy, that that's solely the responsibility of the federal government? No, states and loca local governments can certainly help the federal government uh, enforce immigration laws. What we're saying is that they cannot pass laws that are inconsistent with the federal laws or do things that contravene uh, federal policy when it comes to uh, the enforcement of our immigration laws. And the Arizona statute, if you look at the guts of it, really puts in place a whole variety of things that are inconsistent with what we have decided to do as a federal government. And, and it's on that basis that we decided to file the lawsuit. Uh, what do you think the state of the security of this country vis-a-vis -vis immigration is right now? Are you concerned about it? Sure, I'm concerned. Um, I don't think that we have in place, uh, with regard to border protection, a system that um, is adequate. I don't think that we have dealt with the undocumented uh, people in this country in a way that is, uh, is appropriate. And that is why I think a comprehensive approach, a comprehensive solution to this problem is what is absolutely necessary. It will involve Republicans and Democrats in coalitions that um, have not yet formed up, but which the President has been trying to, uh, has been trying to get together to, for us to decide as a nation that we have to deal with this problem, as I said, comprehensively. And until we do that, I think we're going to see uh, the problems that we continue to face. The uh, trouble in the Gulf continues. Uh, 
you said uh, a couple of weeks, or it's getting to be months ago, uh, you announced that the government is going to open an investigation to determine if the conduct of BP officials constituted criminal uh, behavior. Uh, it was a very unusual thing for a law enforcement uh, or prosecutor to announce that. Number one, and when you did announce it, I would add the stock of BP fell. It really tumbled. Why did you choose to make that announcement? Well, I was very careful in what I said. When I, I did not say that BP was under investigation. What I did say was that we had opened a criminal investigation but did not indicate who the subject uh, of the investigation was. Um, and that is a very serious thing because there, there are a variety of entities and a variety of people who are the subjects of that investigation. And for people to conclude that BP is the focus of this investigation uh, might not be correct. And, um, uh, but so, it might be correct. I'm not going to go any further than what I said in New Orleans and what I've said today. Uh, but the, given the extraordinary nature of what our nation is facing there, we thought it was appropriate to uh, let the American people know that the federal government was un understood what was going on here and that we were using the full panoply of our powers to open both a criminal investigation and a civil inquiry to ensure that the American people don't pay a cent for the cleanup, that we were going to do all that we could to restore uh, the environment to that which it was uh, looked like before and perhaps improve it, and to make sure that we held accountable anybody who was responsible for, uh, for the spill. So where is the investigation now? Could, should we be expecting indictments anytime soon or any actions? No, I mean, the investigation is ongoing. Our primary concern at this point is getting the spill stopped, uh, and hopefully we'll, that will happen um, relatively quickly. The investigation is ongoing. We're in the process of accumulating documents, talking to uh, witnesses on both the criminal side as well as the civil side, but I wouldn't put a, a, a timetable on when we'll be acting. Do you have any uh, reason to believe, uh, Mr. Attorney General, that the BP was doing anything differently from any other oil company operating down there? Well, I don't want to get into the investigation, but I will say that one of the things that we saw, certainly saw, I think, during the congressional testimony was that uh, there was a certain commonality in the way in which these oil companies were operating. And that was one of the reasons why uh, Secretary Salazar thought that that moratorium on drilling in these deep water, um, deep water facilities was, was appropriate, to understand exactly why this spill occurred um, and to try to ensure that there was not a repetition of it, given the magnitude of the problem that we've seen, the economic harm that we have seen, the damage that has been done to companies along the Gulf and to people's lives uh, in, in the Gulf. All right, let's take a break here, and uh, when we come back in 60 seconds, we'll talk about a lot of the other things that are on your plate, including what are you going to do about Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the mastermind of 9-11. Back in a minute. All right, so I didn't, mess, I didn't mess up the timing. Okay. We're going to start right up here. All right. Here we go. 
And we're back now with the Attorney General Eric Holder. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, what is your current thinking on what is to be done with the 9-11 mastermind, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed? You at first were going to try him in New York. Now it appears that uh, he's going to be tried someplace else. Uh, where are you on this? Well, no decisions we made yet as to exactly where the trial is going to occur. Um, what we want to do is to hold accountable um, as effectively as we can the people who are responsible for what happened on September the 11th. We've had to deal with a variety of things, um, funding and dealing with Congress, um, the concerns that have been expressed by local officials. Uh, we're trying to work our way through that and try, as soon as we can we will make a decision as to where that trial um, will occur. But we are bound and determined to hold Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and those who worked with him uh, hold them responsible for what happened on September Have you 11th. decided yet whether it'll be before a military tribunal or a civilian court? Uh, we are still in the process of considering that as well. Uh, the recommendation I made was that it should be done in a civilian court. Are you still leaning in that direction? Uh, that is something that we are in the process still of working our way through. Can I ask you the obvious question? Mm -hmm. What is taking so long to make this decision? Well, I mean, it, it is, there were certainly unanticipated things that happened. Um, one looks at the way in which Congress has looked at this and the question of whether or not we will have sufficient funding in order to, uh, to bring these cases. There have been restrictions that have been talked about uh, by Congress, some, some of which have been imposed. Uh, we're going to have to work with Congress in order, I think, ultimately to uh, bring this case to trial. And I think that given the magnitude of what happened on September the 11th and the need to bring justice and closure to this, um, that people in Congress need to work with us in the executive branch uh, to come up with a way in which we can put these people on trial. Justice has been denied too long. Well, this controversy now that goes on and on and on, uh, some argue that, uh, that a person, uh, you know, that these people that many people feel are not criminals, that they're, uh, that they're military combatants, that uh, they should not be read their rights. They should not enjoy all the rights that those of us in America have. Uh, why, why, why can't you try them before a military tribunal? Couldn't you give them just as fair a trial before a military tribunal? And uh, wouldn't that be more appropriate for some of these people? I think I, I look at it the other way. Why can't we use a great criminal justice system that has proven effective in these kinds of cases uh, over the years, that has proven effective in a wide range of cases over the last 200 years? Why can't we use that system? Uh, it is that system that we have often said distinguishes us from um, other countries. It's one that I am extremely proud of and one that I think is extremely capable of. We've tried over 300 terrorists uh, in our criminal justice system. Uh, we've gotten very long sentences where that was appropriate. There have been a really limited number of people who have been tried um, in, the, uh, in the military tribunals, which is not to say that they should not be used. But at the exclusion, I think if we try to exclude um, the federal criminal justice system, we are taking away one of the tools that we have. And I think ultimately we make this nation uh, much weaker. That's a very dangerous thing, I think, to take that tool out of our hands. There was some talk at one point that you might move this trial to uh, perhaps a military base in Virginia. Uh, is that still an option? There are any number of possibilities that we are considering. And uh, we have not made any final decisions. Uh, can you, in fact, seek the death penalty uh, when you take someone before a military tribunal? I know you can. 
uh, in a civilian court. Can you do that uh, before a military tribunal? Because I've had some lawyers tell me that that might not be possible. You can certainly seek the death penalty. There is real questions to whether or not somebody can plead guilty and get the death penalty on the military side. You can certainly do that in a civilian setting. But you might not be able to do that if they plead guilty in a military, in a military tribunal. tribunal. Right. There's a real question about that. It's interesting that nobody has made much of that, that this has become so controversial. I'm surprised that those of you who favor the civilian trials haven't said to some who want to put these people before a military tribunal, but look, we might not be able to get the death penalty. One of the things I think that is particularly bothersome to me is that this really has become something that has become political. Um, and uh, the politicization of this issue when we're dealing with ultimate national security issues is something that uh, disturbs me a great deal. We're dealing with... Uh, the deaths of 3,000 people on September the 11th. We're dealing with the mastermind of the 9-11 uh, attacks, a person who was a key part of Al-Qaeda. And uh, to have Republicans and Democrats arguing about this in a political way, as opposed to dealing with the substance um, that we have to really focus on, is something that I think is regrettable and has resulted, I think, in the delays that, um, that we have seen. One of the president's first acts when he became president was to say that he would close Guantanamo, our prison facility, within a year. Guantanamo is still open. Uh, when is that question going to be resolved? And is that, in fact, any more a priority for the administration? It is still a priority. Um, Guantanamo is, serves as a recruiting tool um, for al-Qaeda. The intelligence shows that, continues to show that that is true. It has served as a wedge between us and our traditional um, allies. We have done all that we can to try to close Guantanamo. I think people have to understand we've done a substantial amount of work. When we started there, there were 240 people who were uh, in Guantanamo. We're down to about 180. We have looked at each one of those prisoners who are there, each one of those detainees, and made individualized determinations as to what uh, ought to happen to them, those who can be tried, uh, those who can be repatriated, those who will be detained under the laws of war. That has been done. Again, we need Congress to come up with an alternative facility. We've identified one in Illinois, the Thompson facility, that we think um, we could bring people to. Uh, we've not gotten the funding from Congress in order to do that. But this is still a priority for this administration. Do you think that this decision will be made before the November elections? Uh, I, you know, we have made the decision. This is something that we want to do. Uh, we need congressional support in order to do it. We have put in the request that we have for the 2011 budget, money to acquire the Thompson facility and to uh, change at least a portion of it so that we could um, hold people that are now in Guantanamo, hold them in that facility. We need Congress to uh, appropriate the money to do it. At this point, Congress has not been willing to do that. Uh, do you have any state other than uh, Illinois, I guess it is, that, that says that they, they would be willing to do this? And I, I don't think that's even certain, is it? Is there any place else that uh, has agreed they'd be willing to have this facility? We actually have had expressions of interest from a couple of other states. Uh, I don't want to necessarily talk about them now because I think we have a very firm commitment from the people in Thompson and from state officials in Illinois that they are willing to... Uh, convert a portion of that facility that is underused and would be sold to the federal government uh, for the detention of people who are now held in Guantanamo. The closure of Guantanamo um, is a national, in the national security interest of the United States. As I have traveled to Europe, as I've traveled to South America, as I've interacted with my colleagues um, in Asia, they all raise the fact that um, the decision by the Obama administration to close Guantanamo was a very positive thing. 
And as I said before, if you look at the intelligence, even today, you will see that Al-Qaeda says that the continued existence of Guantanamo serves as a very effective recruiting tool for them and brings more people to the fight uh, on their side. You know, I, I remember during the uh, campaign, President, I mean, Senator Obama said he wanted to close Guantanamo. Senator McCain said that he wanted to close Guantanamo. And I think those of us in the press uh, bear a little responsibility in all of this because we forgot to ask the follow-up, how are you going to do it? Uh, it's, has it not proven to be a lot more difficult than you thought it was? Well, it pr it's proven more difficult because there have been people who have changed their positions. I think, as you said, Senator McCain certainly was in favor of uh, closing Guantanamo. Uh, President Bush has expressed a desire to close uh, Guantanamo. Our military leaders have indicated a desire to close Guantanamo. Those people who are on the front lines have said Guantanamo um, should be closed. This is another instance where I think politics, unfortunately, um, has entered into this discussion. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. We have proven an ability to hold in our uh, federal prison system people convicted of, charged with um, terrorist offenses very effectively, very safely. There's no reason to believe that people held in Guantanamo cannot be held wherever we put them in the United States, um, again, very safely and very effectively. And so. Um, it is our hope that we will be able to persuade Congress to give us the ability to open that Thompson facility. You know, early on in the administration, you created uh, quite a stir uh, when you said uh, in a speech that we had become a nation of cowards because we weren't talking enough about race. A lot of people criticized you for that. A lot of people applauded you for saying that. Uh, are you sorry now that you said that, or what exactly did you mean by that, and how do you feel today after some time has passed? I mean, I think that this is an, ours is a great nation, but one of the great things that we have always tried to, we've always wrestled with um, from the inception of this nation is the question of race. Um, if one looks at the history of this country in the 19th century, race was, I think, the dominant issue. You look at the history of the, this country in the 20th century, race was one of the, the dominant issues. Uh, it remains an issue that um, I think still divides us. And if you look at the demographic changes that this, this nation is about to um, undergo, we have to have, I believe, um, an open and honest discussion about race, ethnicity, um, the diversity that we are about to see, an unprecedented diversity in this country can be a great source of strength for this nation, but if not dealt with appropriately, can also be something that is very divisive. And what I was trying to say in that speech is that we should um, be honest with one another um, and not feel that we have to retreat into our cocoons and only say that which we consider to be safe, um, that we ought to have the strength of character uh, to say that which we really feel, and people who are receiving it should understand that those things are said in good faith, to just have an open, honest dialogue about something that I think for too long we have not been willing to discuss. Do you see any sign that we are doing better on that? No, slightly. I, th I think certainly that uh, speech that I gave uh, generated <laughs> some conversation. Um, I'm not sure I heard all the applause that you were talking about in, mm -hmm. with regard to those remarks. Um, I think perhaps we are getting to a place where, uh, a better place, I think the fact that we have an African-American as president, perhaps an African-American as an attorney general is a, is a spur in that regard. But uh, I think there's still a, a, a lack of desire um, 
and understandable, I think, in some ways. People feel uncomfortable talking about um, racial issues out of fear that if they express things, they will be uh, characterized in a way that's not fair. Um, I think that there is still a need for a dialogue about things racial that um, we've not engaged in. Mr. Attorney General, you are the uh, nation's top law enforcement officer. Uh, you deal with terrorism. You deal with espionage. Uh, you're dealing with an immigration uh, controversy right now. Uh, what do you consider at this point the greatest threat to America's security? Well, I don't think there's any question. I spend uh, significant amounts of my time dealing with the whole question of terrorism. Um, I start every day at 8.30 with a brief uh, on what the threat stream was for the past 24 hours. Um, if one goes through that experience every day, you see that there are substantial numbers of people and organizations who want to do great harm uh, to our people and to American interests around the world. Uh, this is a battle that is um, ongoing. We have to be vigilant. We have to be strong. Uh, we have to be united in our um, fight. And in that fight, we have to understand that I think, in addition to our military might, uh, the thing that we have that I think best protects us is our values. And we can never lose sight of that. I think we have to understand that as we uh, conduct this war, conduct this fight, we should do so in a way that's consistent with the traditions that have made this nation um, the nation that it is, the great nation that it is. Mr. Attorney General, thank you for being with us in Aspen. Thank you. Face the nation. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our part here. Thank you all for being so courteous. <laughs>